morning. Let me jump right in because we have a lot to, to cover, so which is not out of the norm. But in our study of First Peter, we've been, if you're new with us, we've been going through the book of First Peter, section by section. We have finished off four chapters. We are now at chapter five, the last chapter of the letter. What I'm going to do this morning is just read the first four verses of First Peter, chapter five, and then I have some comments to make concerning that. So. Beginning in verse 1, Apostle Peter wrote, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that is Christ, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So, in this section of Peter's letter, he addresses, as I just read, the elders among you, the elders among you, or the elders among his readers. Remember that this letter was written to multiple congregations or local churches in uh, Asia Minor or what would be known today as modern-day Turkey. So Peter is speaking here in chapter 5 to elders that were in those various churches. With me so far? Okay, but before jumping into all the specifics of the passage, and they're wonderful, and we're really going to get to those next week, I thought it might be helpful to make sure that we all have a basic and biblical understanding of who these people called elders are. So this morning, we're going to do a crash course on the topic, on biblical eldership. By the way, I'll be borrowing heavy from a book called Biblical Eldership by Alexander Strzok, and I only mention that to you in case you want to uh, learn more on the subject. This is the material that we use when we train uh, potential elders, this book right here, Biblical Eldership by Alexander Strzok. So, Growing up, I remember being told uh, many times that I should respect my, yeah, maybe you were told that too, right, which I understood to mean uh, those who were older than me, right, those who were older than me, so as a child, it was adults. I'm wondering if anybody tells their kids this anymore, I don't know, weird, it's just weird culture we're in, but um, it would be adults. As a child, and as an adult, then you were still told to respect your elders, so then it would be adults of a more advanced age, right? Someone who is your senior, senior, right? Because that's really what the word means, just more advanced in age. We, we have a group of people that we commonly refer to as senior citizens, but the idea is they are just a group of people uh, more advanced in age. 
We even use the word seniority, right? At work, you might say this person has seniority. What does that mean? It means they have been here longer than you have. So you're supposed to uh, treat them in a more honorable, respectable way. All these kind of ideas related to that word elder, senior. But is that what Peter means here? And that's why I titled the message, Elders? Question mark. And maybe you already know the answer, and that's fantastic, and you know the right answer, hopefully. But uh, either way, I'm gonna make, I'm, I want to make sure that we as a local congregation know the answer to that question. What does Peter mean here? Is he simply addressing those in the church who are of a more advanced age? The answer is no. No. Okay? So then how are we to understand the term elders as Peter uses it here in 1 Peter chapter 5? How are we to understand it? I'm so glad you asked. So, we're going to look at several things. We're going to start with the terms, the term elder and other terms that are used interchangeably with this term elder in the scriptures. So, I'll start by, and again, it's a crash course. There is, I mean, I could do five weeks on this, but I decided not to. So, I want it's to, a, it's a basic course so that we can then jump back into Peter and look what he says to elders. And there it's beautifully really calls them to servant leadership. But we'll talk about more about that next week. So, Titus chapter 1 verses 5 through 9. Let me read that to you as we examine the term elder. Paul, writing to Titus, says, "This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders." There it is again. In every town as I directed you. Then in verse 6, he begins to go into the qualifications for elders. You'll notice that age is not specifically listed here as a qualification. Now, he's going to mention uh, concerning something about marriage and children. And I'll come back to that in a moment. But let me just say some have tried to get an age around the idea that well, he says, you know, they should be married and their children should live in a certain way and they should be respectful. Uh, so they should be at least 35 years old. Or, I, people have tried to do that. I'm just telling you that's, that doesn't work. And, and, I'll, and I'll explain why in a second. There is no specific age. I'll talk in a moment about why he talks about marriage and children, okay, when we get to qualifications again in Timothy. But here I just want to show you something about the term. And appoint elders in every town. Six, if anyone is above reproach, now these are qualifications for the elders, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, you see that word? As God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word, the scriptures, as taught by the apostles, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it, okay? I read you that verse just so that you could see that the terms overseer and elder 
are used to describe the same people. You with me? See, so he's addressing elders, and then he refers to them as overseers, overseers. So as we seek to understand the term, we need to note that an elder in the church is an overseer of the church, and vice versa. Okay? The overseers of the church are the elders of the church. Now, concerning the word overseer, let's look at a little bit here of these, uh, the terms. One writer, and again, it's from this book right here, the Greek word, I'll quote this gentleman, the Greek word for overseer, the Greek word that's used there, is a general term like our English words, supervisor, manager, or guardian. In ancient Greek society, the word was a well-known designation of office. It was broadly used to describe any official who acted as a superintendent, manager, guardian, controller, or ruler. Most commonly, the overseers are local officials or the officers of society. You with me? Okay, so when you think of the word overseer, to simplify it, you could think of supervision, oversight, and along with all that, what's necessary to those offices or positions is delegated authority. Delegated authority. Okay. Now, that's the word overseer. What about the word elder itself? What about that word? Because we know that this, these people are elders. Elders are overseers. Overseers are elders. We looked at the word overseer. What about the word elder? Well, the Greek word translated as elders in 1 Peter, it has a twofold sense. A twofold sense, meaning it, it can have this sense or this sense. And that sense or that meaning is determined always by the context, by the context. So, the word can be used to mean one who is older, one who is older. So, similar to the way it is used today when an adult says, as I said before, to a child, you are to respect your elders. The other sense in which it is used is as a title for office, biblically speaking as a title for office, as it is being used in 1 Peter 5. And that specifically, as I'll continue to show you, is the office of elder or the overseers of the church community, local church community. So let me just show you what I'm talking about so you know um, specifically that what I've said is accurate. The first sense, that Greek word, the idea of it being one who is older. By the way, not one who is a specific age, just one who is older, okay? That is the first natural sense in which it can be used. And it's, again, determined based on context. So, you know the story of the prodigal son, maybe? Okay, he leaves, the younger son leaves. Who's left behind? The older son, right. Okay, so we'll just pick up in the story in Luke 15, 25, now, his older son, that word right there, older, same Greek word being translated elder in 1 Peter 5. His older son, the idea is his, the father's son, elder son, the eldest, was in the field as he came and drew near to the house and heard music 
and dancing, you know, because the younger son's coming back, and there's this big celebration, the older son comes back. You know the story, remember? He's really upset because they're celebrating. And, um, but that's the same word there. Also, to show you the sense that in which it's used in the scriptures, 1 Timothy 5.1, Paul there tells Timothy, a younger pastor, do not rebuke an older man. Again, same word, same Greek word. Um, so again, it's not the, he's not talking about the office of elder there. So that's why the Bible translators translate it older instead of elder, which is reserved for the office of the leadership of the church. So do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. So the idea is, you know, you take a more kindler, gentler approach, Timothy, when you're speaking to those that are of a more advanced age than you. Treat them this way with some, as MacArthur says, with deference and honor. So there's that idea still that you should show respect to your elders in this way. And then he says, younger men as brothers. So a little bit different approach there. You can maybe more direct approach. Younger men, you can tr treat them as brothers as you're uh, ministering to them. Okay, you see that? That's the first sense in which the word is used. So it can be used that way. But in 1 Peter, it's not being used that way. It's being used in the sense of the office. And I want to share with you a little bit of why that, that word makes sense for that office. Remember, Christianity came out of what? Uh, Judaism. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's right. So the Messiah is Jewish. Uh, he came through Israel. The apostles were, yeah, they were Jewish. They were Jewish. So there is Jewish influence within Christianity. Rightfully so, understandably so, yeah? Okay. So in a Jewish context, elders were commonly known as the community leaders. The community leaders. Leadership by a council of men, as the writer says, called elders, was very familiar to the, to the Jews. He goes on to say, let me quote, A council of elders was one of Israel's oldest and most fundamental institutions. Although there is no explanation of their origin, appointment, or qualifications, Israel's elders are mentioned approximately 100 times in the Old Testament. From the time they were slaves in Egypt, which we're getting to uh, in Genesis in the story, the elders provided leadership for the people, okay? Remember that word. The elders provided within Israel leadership for the people. When Israel settled in the promised, or the land of promised, each city, each tribe, and the nation as a whole has a council of elders, that's how they're referred to, if you read in the Old Testament. As community leaders, the leaders were to protect the people, exercise discipline, enforce the law of God, and administer justice. The Old Testament elders, he goes on to say, were preeminently men of counsel, so they, they were, counsel was sought from them, and men of wisdom. Now, uh, so they were wise men. Generally speaking, they, 
they would, they would not have been put in the position if they were not wise men, or at least thought to be wise. So wise men, generally speaking, are going to be um, older. Yeah? I mean, you know, 18 years old? No, not a lot of wisdom there. Not because, and the reason I say that, and we're not talking about brains or smartness. Is that a word? Um, level of education. You could have a brilliant, brilliant mind at the age of 18, 17, 16, 19, 20, right? Very young. Brilliant. Genius. Doesn't mean they have wisdom. Wisdom is living skillfully, right? So when we looked at the scriptures and Proverbs, applying God's word to life, living under it, living according to it. And it does require, you know, you know the scriptures, but also that you have some experience in life, some. And so while being older would certainly be a part, to some degree, would be a part of being an elder uh, or being advanced in age, a specific age is nowhere found. Nor imply. So you could have, theoretically, uh, a man in his 30s or late 20s who had a lot of wisdom because he uh, has been living uh, life and started maybe early, created a family, and is living according to the word, and that man could have a lot of wisdom. You could also have a man who's 50, who's lived much longer than him, who has almost no wisdom, Right? So just age in and of itself doesn't tell you anything, but I would say that generally speaking, you need some age to acquire, and the scriptures, some life experience to acquire and establish yourself as a wise man. What? Oh, okay, yeah, all right. And anybody who's raised teenagers, you know, and boy, they think they're wise, right? But yeah, you know, you're like, oh boy, you know, you need to go around the block a few times, young man. And then you'll maybe figure some things out, all right? So, the writer goes on to say that the strict sense of advanced age, the writer of this book, is eliminated from the meaning of elder when referring to a community leader. It's eliminated, the strict sense of that, that that's all that they're talking about is advanced age. But certain connotations, so that's, what is that? What's the word connotations? That's, that's an idea or a feeling that a, a word uh, invokes in addition to its literal or primary meaning, okay? So connotations of the word. Certain connotations of the word elder, such as maturity, experience, dignity, authority, and honor are retained. So when the word is used as the title of an office, office of elder, those ideas of advanced age, maturity, honor, deference, all of that uh, authority are... are, are um, What's the word I'm looking for? Retained in the word. So thus, the term elder, when it's used as a position of office, conveys, as he goes on to say, positive concepts such as maturity, respect, and wisdom. So when you're thinking about that word, you're thinking about the elders of the church, those ideas should also be included in your thinking. Maturity, wisdom, respect, and uh, respect, and yeah, wisdom and maturity, and authority, even authority, okay? So, now th considering both terms, elder and overseer, elder and overseer, the writer says this, although both terms, elder and overseer, apply to the same body of men, elder reflects the Jewish heritage that stresses dignity, as I was saying, maturity, 
honor, and wisdom. While overseer reflects the Greek speaking origin that stresses the work of oversight. Okay? So remember, this is a Jewish-Greek culture that the church is living in. So these two terms both add something to the understanding of those who have this position of leadership within the church. Elder, overseer. You with me so far? Now, in addition, and this is important, the verb shepherd. The verb shepherd is also used in connection with the term elder. The verb, shepherd. Okay, so let me show you that. We read it a moment ago in 1 Peter. There, Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd, that's, that's a verb, shepherd the flock, flock, that's a group of sheep, okay, it can be a reference to a group of sheep, so you'll see that Jesus is in John 21, 16 and 17, shepherd the flock, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, in your, that local fellowship, so elders in the various churches, shepherd the flock of God that is among you there in that local fellowship where you find yourself exercising oversight. So there again, now we're seeing all these terms come together. Oversight. Who, who, exercises, oversight? who, who exercises oversight? Overseers. It's a form of the word, overseers. So you have elders there to shepherd, exercising oversight because they are the overseers of the church. Now, the verb shepherd here simply means to tend to as a shepherd. That's what it means, to tend to as a shepherd, to care, to act as, to care for the people, the flock of God, the sheep, as a shepherd would, which includes then all that a shepherd, the idea is to have that imagery of shepherding, so it includes all that a shepherd would do. What does a shepherd do? Well, his tasks include leading the sheep, feeding the sheep, caring for the sheep, guarding the sheep, okay? Leading, feeding, caring, guarding, corralling the sheep, which is like corralling cats sometimes. So, you know, getting them together, you know, guiding them for their own good. One writer says this, or the writer says, the shepherd imagery blends the ideas now of authority. So the idea of authority would come from the word overseer, and leadership, that idea would come from the word of elder, understanding the Jewish context, with now shepherding, self-sacrifice, no easy job being a shepherd. See, they would have understood this, but we're city folk, though we don't see shepherds wandering around herding sheep, taking care of sheep. It's a hard work. So self-sacrifice is involved, tenderness. You got to be kind to your sheep. You don't beat your sheep up. Sheep, I can't even speak. You don't beat your sheep up right? But you need to help them and care for them. There's tenderness involved with sheep. They'll break. <laughs> They're tender animals. Hard work, loving care, and constant watchfulness. You turn your eye away from the sheep, well, the wolves come and get them, or they just wander off. Another example of elders and shepherd imagery together 
is found in Acts 20. So I'll read that quickly. Verse 17, Paul writes, now, well, it's it, uh, Luke writes, but we'll get to here in a second. Now from Miletus, he, that is Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, and we'll drop down to verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. There it is again. He refers to those that the elders have oversight over as the flock, sheep, among which the Holy Spirit has made you. The Holy Spirit has made you. What? Overseers. To do what? Shepherd. Now, I'm using the New American Standard Bible. Most translations have the word shepherd there because that's the word there. The ESV chose to use the words care for in place of shepherd. I wish they didn't do that. And I think they did it because in modern day times, the idea when we read shepherd, we're like, what is that about? What do you mean shepherd? Because we don't have the imagery, right, in, as city folks. So maybe for readability or understandability, they use the words care for, you know, care for the church of God. But the, the word is shepherd, just like it was I showed you just a moment ago in First Peter. So shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. It's that shepherding. It's that shepherd imagery. Not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So within your own flock, men will rise up to try to take them away, speaking untrue things, unscriptural things, unbiblical things. Therefore, he says to the elders, the overseers, be alert. Remembering for the three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So I just wanted to show you all of these words are being to get used together. They're describing, they're referring to the same people, elders, overseers, and those who are shepherding or shepherds of the church. Do you see that? Have I shown you that? Have you seen that now? Now, the noun is actually the word, the noun for shepherd. It's used in Ephesians 4.11. That's the only place it's used to refer to the leadership of the church. And there, the Apostle Paul writes, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now, it didn't pop up on the screen. But I promise, I just read it as it is. You can look. It's Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. The shepherds. Now, the ESV there, this is... <laughs> the ESV uses the word shepherds, which is good. I like that because that is the word. But most translations use pastors. Pastors. Okay? Why? Again. God gave shepherds to the church to build up the body of Christ? What? So for the modern mind, see, the ancient mind would know right away. But the modern mind goes, what do you mean? We don't have any sheep, so I'm not sure what's going on. No, you are the sheep. And he gave shepherds to, we are, I'm a sheep too. I'm just a shepherd among the sheep. Okay, so he gave, the sheep of the church, he gave shepherds, elders, overseers to feed, care for, protect, guide, lead that flock of sheep, that local church. Where do we get the word pastor? 
Well, the word pastor is simply the Latin word for shepherd. That's all it is. Okay? So, just a side note, just for fun. I, I'm going to mess this up. So, my, um, so, there's a meat that you buy at the... A pastor. A pastor. Did I say that right? I'd like some El Pastor. Okay. We were joking about, I don't know where Ava is, if she's here, but we were, we were joking. She, there was some comment made about El Pastor. I said, I don't, are you referring to the meat? Are you talking to me? We were confused or something. But let me tell you, uh, it, from Spanish, it literally means in the style of the shepherd. That's what it means, in the style of the shepherd. Why? Because... Uh, it was a dish really originally developed in central Mexico, and it was usually lamb-based. Lamb-based, lamb, baby sheep. This is meat in the style of the shepherd. Now, I know it's pork uh, now, here. In Mexico, like Mexican, you go to a Mexican place, you order El Pastor, what do you get? Pork. You get tacos. Okay. Uh, now you guys are all hungry, I'm sure. But don't worry, we're going to have communion in a moment, so you'll be fine. El Pastor. So anyway, in the style of the shepherd. You see? It's a shepherd. So why am I telling you all this? It's important. And the, the writer points out this. When many Christians hear of church elders, they think of an official church board, quoting the writer again, influential people within the local church or advisors to the pastor. They think of elders as policymakers, financial officers, fundraisers, or administrators. That's how some churches view or think of or Christians think of elders. That is not accurate. They may be, they certainly may be influential within the local church and on the official church board, but they are not, they are not in the sense advisors to the pastor. That makes it sound like there is just a pastor and then there's these other guys called elders and they serve some other purpose, but they are not on the same level with the pastor. They are pastors, biblically speaking. The elders are the pastors, the shepherds, the overseers of the church, biblically speaking. Okay? So, real quick, in our Constitution, when you're reading through our Constitution, for the purposes of making, uh, for distinguishing so that we understand who's who and handing out roles, we title people differently in the Constitution in this way. I'm the teaching pastor. I am an elder. But I am referred to as the teaching pastor, and with that role comes certain responsibilities. I'm the main guy bringing the word from the pulpit on Sunday, and I have some other uh, important responsibilities as well as the teaching pastor. Then we have another one called associate pastors. Those the, way, the reason we have that term is those are also elders, but they're elders that are on staff, paid by the church. So the teaching pastor is a paid position, associate pastors are paid, just for, this, for the simple un understanding of so we can make determinations. But they're all elders, 
They're all overseers. They're all pastors within the local body, biblically speaking. And then we have another category called elders. But they're all elders, and those in, the, in our Constitution, those are the men who are not paid by the church. There are non-staff elders, but they're all elders. They're just not full-time because they have other responsibilities, another job as well. So that's page 20 of our Constitution. Let me have them stand for a moment so you know who these men are, who I shepherd this flock with. You can stand. So there's Eric Davis right there. There's Tim Nelson. There's Wes Stevens. Here's Jeremy Bryan. It's these four men who are the elders, overseers, pastors, shepherds of the church. Thank you, brothers. You don't have to applaud or anything. I just want you to see them. I, I hope you know who they are. It's these four men, at least for now. Okay? We do it together. I am not the guy. I'm a teaching pastor here, but I shepherd this body, care for this body with them. And that's how it should be, biblically speaking. I am not the king. Okay? I am not the pope. So, hopefully that helps you understand uh, the, the term. By the way, did you notice that there were more than one? Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to drop a bomb on you or anything. I'm just I'm helping you understand biblically what it is and how this church is governed and how we believe every local church should be governed. Okay? So, there's more than one. Why? Because the Bible teaches a plurality of eldership, plural, more than one. A plurality of leadership. That means elders working together as a team or as a council of equals. So if someone came in here and said, take me to your leader, you would say, no, I'll take you to our leaders. So if the aliens ever come, do not bring them just to me. In fact, I would prefer... <laughs> Let the other guys deal with that, please. But seriously, uh, take us to your leaders. It's a, it's a plurality of leaders. Now, I'm, what I'm going to do for the sake of time is I had a, uh, several passages. I'm just going to read them. I'm not going to read them to you. I'm going to give you the references if you want to look it up. It's always a reference to a plurality, multiple elders within the local church that we find in the New Testament scriptures. It is never one guy. You won't find that in the New Testament. So Acts 14.23, we're not going to pull it up, uh, my slide man in the back. Acts 14.23, James 5.14, Acts 20.17, 1 Timothy 5.17, Titus 1.5, Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, you see the word overseer, seers is used there as Paul's addressing the leadership of the church of Philippi, overseers and deacons, plural, again, same people. So as I said, there is not, and I got that from the book, the quote specifically, there is not one New Testament passage which describes a church being governed by one pastor, not one. I uh, was I came from a church years ago where there was one. Uh, not a good idea. I'm just going to say, not a good idea. There, for the protection of the church and the church body, and just for the purposes of wisdom and what's necessary to shepherd the flock, you need a multitude of godly 
qualified men doing that together. Beyond that, those men hold me accountable. I hold them accountable. So if this guy gets out of line, they would uh, address me. And I them. Yes, men? Yes? I'm talking to you now, elders. Please say yes. <laughs> so I have been, I have seen, let me say, let me back up. I am aware of uh, places where there are elders and, and, there's, and they, they have a board of elders and supposedly they're all equal, but they are not. So you can have what looks like a plurality of elders and leadership in that sense, but really the main guy, the one who's up here most of the time on Sundays, he's still in charge and he brings in men who are really yes men. So we don't want to do that. I've never wanted that. I know my own weaknesses and failures. I need to be checked as well for my good and for the good of that, this body and for the glory of God ultimately. You see? So uh, that brings me to qualifications. Can anyone be an elder? No. From our Constitution, it reads like this. Because our church government invests the board of elders... So we're way down like on page four at the bottom left slide, man, just so you're aware. Lewis, uh, Nico, because our church government invests the board of elders with administrative authority in the shepherding ministry of the church, it must be emphasized that the Christian character and maturity of the elders is crucial to the health of the church body. Each member of the board of elders, and this is in our constitution, must be male. I thought about making a big deal out of this, or not big deal, but taking time. Let me just say this. We put that there on purpose, and we probably should have put gender born of where our culture is now. So if we would have rewrote it, maybe we should have added that, but maybe some other, maybe in the, in the future. Male. You know why we said that? Because that is the New Testament model. In fact, there is no suggestion of women elders in the qualifications for elders, rather they assume, because that's how it was, that's how it was established to be, they assume a male subject. Household of one's, or a husband of one wife? Uh, manages his own household well? How would that fit with a woman elder? So remember what I just said. Oh, by the way, if you're curious and you want to know more, chapter three of the book, Male Leadership. If you want to take some time to investigate this. By the way, also required by 1 Timothy 2.12. There's no way around it. So 1 Timothy 2.12, it's clear. In the public assemblies of the church, the women are not to teach or have authority over the men. Now, and it's not a matter of uh, ability or value or anything like that. You could certainly have a woman teach better than a man. It's a matter of roles that God has established. And it, that might be shocking to some of you because you look around, even churches around here, there are female pastors. Not biblical. Not biblical. Okay? Because the pastors are the elders, are the overseers. They're all referring to the same person. They are to be male. So we state that in our Constitution. In, they must also be an active member of this church. And one who manifests, and we write, although imperfectly, because, you know, you're not going to be perfect in these areas, 
the qualifications described in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and Titus 1, 5 through 9. I know we're running out of time, actually out of time already, but let me try to wrap it up and get there. We read Titus earlier. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. You can look it up. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, Titus 1, 5 through 9. You take all of that together, that includes all of the qualifications for one who aspires, inspires to be, aspires to be an overseer, an elder of the church. They must want to do it, and they must be qualified. So they might want to do it, but they're not qualified. They might be qualified, but they don't want to do it. And then for us, what we do is, if that's the case, we put them through a one- to two-year training process to test them, to see, is this really, are they the right fit, and are they the right fit with us? Do we think they are, and do they think they are? And then we bring it, we would bring it to the church to vote and affirm if we believe that is the right man for that position. I, the whole husband of one wife thing, let me just say this, because I'm out of time. So the husband of one wife, there are some who suggest that, since that's one of the things that Paul mentions as a qualification, that an elder has to be married. I would not see it that way. He also talks about children, right? He must manage his own household well in 1 Timothy with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For someone who does not know how to manage his own household, how we care for God's church, yes? So that's certainly a testing ground to see the qualifications of this elder. But does that mean that if a, a man and a wife married to Christ, you know Christian man, he qualifies in every way, but they can't have kids, then he can't be an elder? I don't believe so, not at all. Same thing with the wife. Does it mean that a single man, a Christian man, can't be an elder? No, because the idea there, listen, in that culture, it would have been out of the norm to not be married. Let me just say that. So for us, it was like, we now have more singles than we do married people, I think, in the United States. But that was not the norm in the first century. If you weren't married, they thought there was something wrong with you. And they got married young. So it would be very natural that Paul would speak to that. Listen. He needs to be the husband of one wife. And if you look at the word, the Greek there, it really means a one-woman man, a one-wife man. It means he's devoted and committed to that woman and her alone. He's not a player. He's not a flirter. He's, he's sexually, emotionally committed to her, which models what it should be for a husband, biblically speaking. As far as children go, yeah, if he has children, he should be able to manage his household so they shouldn't be like crazy out of control. If they are, then how's this guy going to manage a flock of sheep? Or even more challenging sometimes. Okay? So each elder must possess the qualifications of eldership as they apply. If he's married, he must be the, a one-woman man. If he has children in his home... They need to be under submission to his authority. He needs to be able to demonstrate that he can exercise authority in the right way. Uh, and all of these other things that are listed, not violent, not a drunkard, gentle, not quarrelsome. So he must, he must qualify on every single one of those. It doesn't mean that he's perfect in every area, but listen, he can't be like, well, I got 80% of them. I mean, I'm a drunkard, but I'm a nice guy. I'm a gentle drunk. No, no, no. You cannot be an elder. You've got to be an example to the flock. You've got to care for these people. A sheep can't be drunk. He's got to pay attention to the folks. Keep his eye on them. Not violent. You know, I'm good on every other level. I don't drink a lick, but man, don't make me angry. Okay, no. No, no. God's still got to work on you. 
He's got to work on you, okay? But if you ever get to the place where now I can say you're not a violent man and you qualify on every other level and you aspire to overseer, all right, let's talk about that then. Because the church is in need of godly leadership. What are the responsibilities? I've already stated them. We're almost finished. What are the responsibilities of the elders, the overseers, the shepherds, pastors of the church? Well, generally speaking, they are to, as I've said, lead, feed, protect, and care for the sheep. I'm not going to read it, again, for sake of time. In our Constitution, pages 22 through 23 flesh out for you some of those responsibilities. So instead of just being a general term, lead, feed, protect, and care, we actually kind of break it down. This is what the elders are responsible for within the local body. I'll just read you the first one. The elders shall provide pastoral care for the church, give instruction, and equip believers for the work of ministry. And it goes on. Okay? Let me close with this, the last one. So that's, those are who the elders are. So when Peter is writing, and hopefully now you have a, a basic, because there's certainly more that could be said, and biblical understanding of who it is he's writing to. And hopefully now you understand us a little bit better who are elders within this local body. I've talked about the elders' responsibility. What about the flock's responsibility to the elders? Well, support, prayer support, boy, we need it. Financial support for those who are full-time, such as myself. Okay. Oh, you know, I forgot to mention, what is Thomas? He's a human being, <laughs> and a good one. He's a good one. Grateful to have him. So he is not an elder at this time. We call him a pastoral associate because we, we, like we like that term. So he's not an associate pastor because to be an associate pastor, you would have to be an elder. He's a pastoral associate. He associates with the pastors. <laughs> I don't know. He, he helps. He assists. He's there for us as we lead the church. So he's administrator. He leads the music, but he's not an elder. Uh, one day, he should be. So, you know, we're getting around to that. I don't know. We don't have, like, a time schedule, like, well, he's got to be an older, because it doesn't work like that. He needs to go through the training process. He needs to aspire to that, okay? And then we'll see. And then you have to affirm him, all of that. It's all required. So uh, that's who Thomas is. He's not the pastor. He's not a pastor. He's not an elder. But he assists us. He's a great benefit to this body. And we support him full time so that he can do that. All right, what about, what is your responsibility to the elders of the church? First uh, Thess 5, First Thessalonians 5, 12, I'll read you a few things. We ask you, brothers, Paul writes this, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. That's written to the flock concerning their relationship and their responsibility to those who are over them in the Lord. Elders, overseers, shepherds, pastors. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those will have to give an account. Those are scary words for us. 
his elders. We are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Just a couple of comments. One writer says, their shepherding task should not be complicated by disobedience. They are complicated by disobedience, but they should not be. And you should not willfully disobey, but cooperate with the elders of a local church. Uh, part of that cooperation comes from entering into formal membership so that we know who it is that we are accountable for. We don't believe we're accountable for every person who walks through the door, but for those who have committed themselves formally to this local fellowship and are saying, I'm coming under the leadership of this church and the teaching and the doctrine here. Another writer says, the writer pleads that the readers will so act that keeping watch will be a thing of joy for the leaders. The alternative is for them to do it with groaning. And IV writes a burden, which he says would be of no advantage for the readers. On our formal application, our summit application, we actually take that verse, Hebrews 13, 17, and we ask those entering into formal membership to describe in their own words their understanding of what it means to submit to the elders who are over them. We want to hear what they say. In our discipleship material, which I'll talk about next week, the answer we're looking for is something like this, because we have that question as we talk about the church as well is that the elders, elders of my local church are responsible for keeping watch over my soul, and they will have to give an account. Therefore, I should obey them and submit to them and let, their do their, let them do their jobs with joy. It is of no advantage to me to be difficult with them. I should be receptive to their counsel when they give it, even if I didn't ask for it. We would love to get that answer. We often don't get that kind of answer necessarily. We might get something close, so we chat about it, we talk about it. But that's... That's a good answer to the question. And then we ask, are you willing to submit to the elders of Summit Bible Church? There's a yes and no box. If it's no, you're not becoming a formal member. If it's yes, okay, but then we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. You say yes, but then, you know, things change. So our culture, I'm going to close with this. Our culture is so anti-authority anti-submission. They think submission's a bad word, but submission's all over the scriptures. It's all over. Husbands, submit... I'm, there we go again. <laughs> to the Lord. <laughs> uh, wives, submit to your husbands. Employees, submit to your employers. Flock, submit to your elders. There's authority structures that God has established, and submission and roles are all included, various roles, and submission is a part of that. So in his book, this is what he writes, and I wanted to close with this. Submission is always difficult. Our hearts are stubborn, prideful, and rebellious. Yeah? Yeah. Yet we are called to submit. Even in trying and disagreeable situations, children must submit to imperfect parents. Stop. Stop for a second. Think about this. What if your kids came and said to you, well, you're not a perfect parent, so I don't have to submit to you. That is exactly what I have heard concerning submission to the elders of a church. Well, you're not perfect. Uh, okay. Who is? Now, if they don't meet the qualifications, that's a different matter. If they are unqualified elders, they are not elders at all. Therefore, you do not have to submit to them. Okay? 
But if it's a qualified elder, then he qualifies, although imperfectly, on all those levels. So it's just, it's inconsistent. You would never, you wouldn't take that from your child, and yet that's the same type of thing I see coming from, sometimes from the flock. I don't have to submit to you because you're not perfect. Or you, you, I think you're off a little bit here. Maybe off a little bit here, but I'm the recognized authority of the church. I'm a qualified elder. So you don't have to submit? I don't think so. Okay. Children must submit to imperfect parents. Wives to difficult husbands. Even unbelieving husbands in the scriptures because they're the authority that's established. And of course, submission first and foremost to God. Right, So if, if your parent ever asks a child to do something against God or elder were to do that, of course you don't have to submit. That goes without saying. And employees to demanding employers. That's the biblical mandate. Likewise, the congregation is required to submit to and obey its elders, even if the elders have weaknesses and faults. Again, not to the degree of disqualification, but you think none of us four have Certainly we have weaknesses and faults, and we are in the act of repenting as well in our Christian life. Indeed, most elders are quite imperfect, so those who are disobedient can always find reason to revolt. Of course, the things we consider to be the elders' misjudgments or errors may well be our own errors, so we should not be too hasty to disregard the judgment of those God has chosen to provide for our spiritual care. Man, if the flock and the local churches would understand these things. Again, within the context of a qualified biblical leadership, of course. Then he goes on to say this. The requirement to submit, however, is not meant to suggest blind, mindless submission. Nor does it suggest that elders are above questioning or immune from public discipline. We are not. The elders are most assurably answerable to the congregation. We are. All members have a voice in assuring that what is done in the church family is done according to Scripture. So, there is a tightly knit, delicate, and reciprocal relationship between elders and congregation by design, God's design. That's it. My good man Thomas, come, pastoral associate, and lead us. This morning in this wonderful, wonderful thing right here.